The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to my chat with Dermot Ryle. I hope you enjoyed part one. Now it's time to hear part two of his experiences and his story. Even given your own experience, Dermot, you've obviously been diabetic for over 27 years now at this stage. Yeah. From your life's experience with the condition, what period in your life did you find was the trickiest to manage bloods? I was definitely my teenage years. I would have a doubt. I mean, when I was in primary school, I mean, to start off, I suppose, my... my I mean, do you want to talk about me being diagnosed or will I just focus on teenage years? Yeah, actually, if you would, if you want to touch on why you're being diagnosed or when you were diagnosed, because even just to give uh, yeah. a brief, a brief backstory, um, I'd love to hear about it because a lot of the time when somebody is diagnosed with type one, we don't know how or why or whether or not something yeah. specifically had led to it. But yeah, you seem to be under the impression that it was an incident in your life that potentially yeah. could have led to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, my father died suddenly in September '93. He was 49 years old, and he got a heart attack, and that was obviously I was six years old, and um, that was September, and the following January '94. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So at the time, the, they were saying that it was a shock of his death that kind of brought it on. You know, I, and my uncle on the mother's side was diabetic, like, but I don't think it was anything to do with that. So I think it was just the shock of it, you know, the, that shock uh, of losing someone close to you. And I uh, said, so that's what kind of brought it on. I think it was, but sure, you, you don't know. Would you yourself kind of back that idea of the shock or the stress that you had gone through at that time did lead to it? Well, I, I barely remember it uh, um, at the time, but uh, it, it had to be because I, I knew I knew he, he I knew he was dead I knew I was everyone seen again but I didn't realise the, the implications of that and not having the dad growing up with and not having that guidance that's what I missed the most um, there was no guidance there you know it was just 
just grew up, you know, like, you know, I had my mother, she was Grace, and I was very close to my aunt, his sister, and my uncle, his brother. So, you know, they were all very, very good to me. Um, but I suppose the following January then, I was, I was, I was waking up in the middle of the night time and, and going to the toilet. And I was drinking water from the tap in the sink. Just a little bit of water would be all right to keep me going. You know, that thirst you'd have, just that little bit of water would be grand. And, you know, I was I was then seven at the time. And my mother would bring me to, you know, we'd all go to Mass every Sunday morning. I remember halfway during the, uh, halfway during the Mass, I'd be dreaming of a mug of tea afterwards. I'd be dreaming of a <laughs> mug of tea. I'd be so thirsty. Halfway during the mass, you dream of mug of tea. And my mother knew. She heard me getting up in the nighttime. Uh, she knew there was something wrong. I didn't know, sure. And she brought me to the doctor. And I remember it as well as can be because the doctor had that long straw that you sticks into the sample, the urine, and, you know, that that bottle then with all the colours on it, the square colours. And mm. uh, he was looking at that. And he... he he taught my mother then um, that Dermot has diabetes and he'll have to go to Arkeen, Watford. And mother goes, oh, right, um, when will I bring him? And he goes, oh, straight away. You know, it was just, he'll have to go to hospital for a week. He goes, oh, I ended up being there for two weeks, but I thought it was great. I had a week off school. You know, just <laughs> There was a spelling test every Friday in school. I was going to miss that as well. I was delighted. I didn't have a clue. God, when I went down there, that's when it all, I, I realised it was it was pretty serious. Like, but I talked to it so well because I was so young. And that's why if someone, if a teenager, 15 or 16, 17, gets diagnosed with it, I just feel so bad for them. You know, because it's a terrible time to be diagnosed. You're, it's a tough time anyway, being that age. But, you know, when I was seven, sure. What, what are you like when you're seven? Sure, you're in primary school, you go home, you know, and playing your games, you play a bit hard out in the garden or kick a ball, whatever, you know. It's nothing. You don't care about friends or girlfriends or anything like that. You don't give a damn. Like, you're just, you're just a kid. Like, and I talk to it and I, I done it a hundred percent, you know, and I I did, you know, and there, you know, I started hurling at a young age. Then uh, school, um, the, the, you know, sprints in school and stuff like that. I was coming first in all those um, competitions. I was, you know, I was looking after myself. I was, I was, there was, there was no problem with me at all at that time. So if you feel as if you were. It's quite clear that you were kind of in a steady routine when you were much younger in primary school. You'd go to school, you'd come yeah. home. Yeah, It's easier to manage because it's a pretty predictable day. But you started to notice a difference in your management when you got older. And that was obviously due to the fact that 
your social environment was changing, school was changing, girlfriends were coming around, sport was coming around. Well, I don't want to clear it up. I never had a girlfriend. Okay. I, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was interested in them, but they weren't interested in me. <laughs> well, you got the right one if she's saving your life and she's your wife now. That's that's the most important thing. I think, thing. Uh, well, I have, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to admit that. Um, but I, I, uh, just to, to go back to the primary school, I, I remember one incident. Um, it was a birthday party. I was about eight years old. I wasn't undiagnosed with diabetes. And I was back in school and I went, uh, this lad had a birthday party and he invited everyone in the class except me. And he taught me, I'm not inviting you to the party because yeah, you're a diabetic. And I remember that feeling in my stomach that time and I still get it to today. The odd time I think about it, that feeling of rejection <laughs> in my stomach just after he invited everyone in the class. Um, but uh, but he didn't want to invite me because of diabetic because there was going to be cake and all of that around and I couldn't eat or whatever. But looking back on it now, I, I, I don't really... I don't really blame him. She's mother. She's just too fucking lazy. She didn't bother. She just didn't want to. She just didn't want to deal with a diabetic running around the place, you know. But yeah, I'm still friends with him to this day, and it's just they crack us up. But I never mentioned that, or I never will bring it up. Like, but it's amazing how something would stick out like that when you're younger, and you'd remember it always. Just that that rejection in your stomach you'd, you'd you'd feel it like because I wasn't undiagnosed at the time but I think it was more his mother just didn't want to deal with the hassle of a weakly little diabetic around the face and uh, everyone else would just be eating cake and I couldn't eat it and all the sour crack so I just I, I do remember that that's a that's a stand-up memory now in, in primary school but uh, I remember my primary school principal at the time uh, he was very good to me. Uh, he's very fair. Uh, he was strict but fair. Uh, I thought he was. I remember now because um, he was our, my manager, hurling manager from primary school up to when I was hurling minor. Um, he knew the story with me, and uh, you know, the odd time now he, he he'd have a quick word with me. He'd know, but he treated me the very same as everyone else which is the way I want to be treated and I think all of us should be treated the very same as everyone else we know in the background we could get low blood sugars that's the way it is but to be respected and treated the same as everyone else you know Do you feel like the experience you had about being rejected from that birthday party had a role to play in your mentality of believing that your diabetes was kind of a sign of weakness because the email that you had sent in to us, it was a great email, by the way. And I, I appreciated the detail that you went into in terms of your adrenaline spikes with sport and how you were trying to treat them and all these different things. Yeah. But what stood out to myself and what stood out to Graham so much was the last line. And the last line of the email was, you never discuss diabetes with anyone apart from your family because you didn't want to be seen as weak. And I personally 
would view it the complete opposite way because I see it as a sign of more strength because it's like, well, I have to deal with all my diabetic stuff and I also have to deal with all of normal life things like stress and work and school and relationships and family on top of my diabetes. But do you feel, Dermot, that that incident being rejected from the party had a role to play in that mentality for you? I I don't think so, no, um, because I was lucky enough. I, I grew up in a, a parish, country place, country people. Loads of people knew each other. You know, that was that was just one incident that I remember. But like, I went to secondary school then in Callan, and only for the friends in primary school knew about. It was never discussed. I never mentioned it. And you start making new friends then when you go to secondary school. And I never said it to them. Not, not once, John. To five years I was in there. I never said it to anyone. I didn't want anyone knowing about it. And even the, my mother obviously had a set to teachers, but I don't know, did half the teachers even know about it? You know, um, I got one bad law in school during those five years now and I was walking around I was around I think it was the second year and I was you know I didn't know what I was doing where I was going and no one knew what was going on with me and that's the scary bit like I was uh, I was kind of looking for something with sugar in this and I was I barely remember what was going on and somehow I came out of this and I was okay then but no one knew about it except me afterwards you know, they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, like, nobody copped it. I don't know, was I able just to hold it together? Or maybe it was just so fucked up anyway, they would have seen me as that way anyway, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she may edit that bit out as well, sorry. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, did, I, I remember walking around the basketball yard and I just over it completely. And... There was a school shop, a school shop, and I went up and they had nothing with sugar in it. Everything was sold out. Can you believe that? They only had a couple of uh, Walker's crisps. That was a big thing back around 2002, 2003, Walker's crisps. And they only had that. So I knew that wasn't as bad as it was. I knew they weren't going to get me over anyway. And uh, sugar-free Sprite or something like that. That was it. Uh, I, I saw I know what I did for the day but I got over it somehow I know how I got over it and that was um, yeah that was a, that was a standout memory and uh, no one copped it no one school copped it I'm not giving out about that or upset about that I'm actually happy that no one copped it because it would have looked terrible I suppose but then again I could have collapsed very close to collapsing and that would have been worse than that. An ambulance coming through a school taking me off. So where do you think then that idea of you viewing your diabetes as a sign of weakness was coming from? I don't know, but sure. I think it is a weakness. I mean, it is like, I mean, there's no point. I know you're saying maybe it's, it's not, but I think it is because you Anyone that your your insulin, yeah, you're, you're dependent on the insulin that you're putting into yourself yourself, and 
you're dependent on an insulin pump and sensors and whatnot. And these are things that you, you, have, you have to work a lot harder on it to look after yourself. And it is a sort of a weakness. You look after yourself, you're fine. You just have to work a little bit harder. But I, I think it's more of a sport point of view, maybe, than anything else. I mean, I remember I was at a funeral. I was... You might locality that um, if there's a funeral, everyone pitches in and people be... Uh, uh, parking cars and stuff like that and sure, that was my job it was in a neighbour down the road or something I was parking cars but the few other neighbours were looking over at me as the day went on and they were kind of whispering to each other looking over at me and I was like oh jeez I know what they're fucking thinking now like they're thinking that he needs to be looked after he needs to eat something but I was fine I knew I was fine I was grand and uh, next thing one of them walked over was there are sandwiches in the house there um, you have to go in now and eat and I said ah, I think I'm okay I'm fine no 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 come on you go in I'm going with you but it's actually nice that they'd be thinking of you as well um, and they'd, they'd bring you in and uh, I'm going to have a couple of sandwiches I'll be fine but you know it's it's nice too that they'd, they'd be thinking like that um, I often notice it too when I'd be I'd be going on a I'd say I'd go on stags uh, so it'd be a stag it'd be maybe 25 or 30 people and we all have friends that go out and get hammered and we all have lads that drink two or three pints and they're falling around the place so I'm lucky enough that I kind of was almost kind of able to take the drink I was never really a big drinker but I'd never really get hammered drunk. I, I'd always be fine. Like, I, I'd always kind of, I'd be together. I was very fortunate with that. Like, I was kind of able to hold it somewhere. But as the, as if I was going to stag and it'd be an all day, and to be drinking all day. And there'd always be two or three people from that stag that come up to you and everyone would be tanked up and they'd go, Are you okay? Are you all right there? Are you? Your friend, they'd be thinking they'd know I'd be diabetic and they'd, they'd be concerned. I always, then there'd be other lads that would be your friends and they'd go off and <laughs> get hammered and fall around the place and stuff. But there'd always be two or three lads that'd come up and they'd have a word with me. I'd know who they are too. They'd be from the parish. They'd, they'd be the same people, you know. They'd, they'd know. No matter what drinking would be going on around it, they'd remember it. Like they'd, they'd come up and they'd go, oh, yeah, geez, I'm grand. They'd go, I will be grand. You know, but I always, um, I always found with, with drinking and I know I'd be talking a lot about drinking now. I'm not a heavy drinker. I wouldn't drink as much as a lot of other people like but The way I do it would be if I always be sober enough to check your blood sugars and treat your blood sugars. That'd be the way I always put it. You can go out and drink whenever you like. But the way the habit I would have is whenever I go to the toilet, if you think about it, you'd be going to the toilet every 20, 25 minutes, check your blood sugars. Every time. No excuse. It's so important. Check them every time. And always be sober enough then your blood sugars get down to maybe four and you're drinking and you're getting drunk. 
stop drinking, drink maybe a glass of orange juice. Then go back into the toilet, check in again. Then go back out. And then if you're still okay, have another pint or whatever you're drinking. But always check them every time you go to the toilet. That's the way I do it. But sure, when I was getting drunk, I'd be getting into a habit. You know, the strips over the years, the blood strips. Mm. Sure, I used to fuck them into the urinals. And uh, sure, they used to pile up in the urinals. I used to be checking them so many times. Which I shouldn't have done. I don't do it anymore now. But when I was younger, I used to just check them and throw them in and be drunk. And uh, sure, I remember I, I came in one night and uh, it was a nightclub in Morrison's at Kenny. And as I, I, I just, I just thrown one strip in and the lad that, you know, the, there's a lad in the toilet that gives you the towel to wash up and stuff. Um, uh, and gives you the soap and uh, uh, he, uh, well, he, he came up to me and he at me and he said, you, you're throwing all the strips into the toilet. I have to pick them out with my hands every night when you're more finished. <laughs> oh, so I stopped oh, it yeah. after that. So, yeah, because you have to pick them up with your fingers. I, the, the, the local barman, the pub as well, was giving out about me. I just got in. It was a dirty habit of throwing. I check them and I throw them into the urinal, thinking that they just disappeared the following night. But obviously, the poor lad in the pub would have to pick them up with his hands and, and put them into the bin. So, so, but sure, I'd be checking. Oh, I'd be checking it uh, 25, 30 times a night. Definitely, I would. I'd be checking them all the time. Um, so, couldn't. But drink away. I always tell anyone, do whatever they like. Well, anyone that would, would bring up drinking and, and diabetes, but uh, drink away, boss. I always check them. I always check them. And I always be sober enough to check them and treat them. That's the key, I think, my opinion anyway. Mm. Yeah, I'd definitely be rich on the idea of always be at a place where you can still check and monitor your blood sugar because... yeah even while we're drinking, obviously alcohol itself can make things more difficult blood sugar wise. So the important yeah. part of it is, as they say in, in the adverts, drink responsibly so you can still look after your blood sugar and don't kind of throw your diabetes management out the window if you're out on a social night because it's yeah, easily well, done when you're in a social scene, but it's important to always remember just to have your head screwed on so you can still manage things and keep yourself safe. Yeah, do you agree, Dermot? I know. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would. I, I, but I know it's listen. It's it's easy to say when you hear those, you know, drink responsibly. Like, but like, you see any young uh, young girl or young lad that goes out when they're eighteen or nineteen, and they're always going out with a, a group of four or five people, and sure, what's the first thing they're going to go into rounds, you know? And like, I know it's it's going to be hard for them to say. Oh, uh, sorry, I'm a diabetic. Um, I'm going to just take, go on my own. I mean, they, aren't, they aren't going to go on the rounds with them. There's no point in saying this, but like, you just have to be th- that diabetic that's on the rounds. Just have to be, if they're, if they get drunk very easily, well then, you know, just, they're just going to have to just say, listen, whatever sort of drink that they're on, changes if it doesn't suit them just go on a lighter drink I don't know but this 10 rounds does it will kill a, a person in, in being a diabetic like if they're if they're on the, if they're if they're drinking rounds they're going to get very drunk and they're not going to know what's going on later on the night time so it, it is I get it it is it, it's very difficult for a young person 
if they're going out with their friends and they're all on the same, they're all on rounds and you're, you're probably better off going on your own. I know it's, I didn't do it myself. Some nights I have went on rounds and it is hard, but you're better off going on your own and going at your own pace and, and, you know, checking them that. I know it's tough, but listen, at least you're able to go out and you're able to go drink it. You know, and you have to look at it that way too. You're allowed to go out and go, you're, you're able to go do it. But I, I, I know it's tough, but when you're going out with your friends, you, know, you need to be best to stay on your own, drink your own drinks, you know. Even with drinking, of course, you can drink alcohol. And I've consistently drank al- alcohol, not obviously every day, but <laughs> throughout my years as a diabetic, I've, I've drank. And for me, what I find to be very helpful is pick a drink that isn't so bad on my blood sugar. I know for myself yeah. personally, if I yeah. go out and I'm drinking pints all night, that's going to be very, very, very different compared to a night I go out and drink, say, a vodka soda. Because I oh, know yeah. that the vodka yeah. soda isn't going to have a massive impact on my blood where I'm going to spike yeah. super high and then kind of react mm. to that high by taking loads yeah. of insulin. I know yeah. that if I stick to a tequila soda or a vodka soda or something like that while I'm out, all I need to do really is just make sure that I'm not going too low because that drink in itself for me won't lead to a big massive spike. And over the years, it's nights where I have gone out <laughs> and I've drank. There's the COVID for you now, Dermot. COVID's coming out. COVID's coming out. <laughs> uh, it's going you somewhere. Right? Anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Right, yeah. <laughs> so over the years for me, the nights where I have been drinking pints are the nights where my bloods have gone a lot higher than I've wanted. And then once they're up at that height, you're kind of thinking, oh God, I need to get them down. I need to get them down. And that's yeah. where you can yes. take too, insulin, yes. too, too much insulin too fast. Yeah. So my advice even from my own experience, is always to pick a drink that you feel will keep your bloods relatively stable. So you're kind of taking that reaction of correcting too many highs out of the equation to a certain extent. Does that make sense? Yeah. um, I I mean, in an ideal world, if we're all living in an ideal world, I mean, probably best to drink maybe two or three shots uh, uh, spirits uh, a nice if you were to go out and they wouldn't really have much of an effect on you know it's, that's in an ideal world but we don't live in an ideal world we live with you know just just you if you go out you know, on a, something on an occasion celebrate something whatever but I when I was growing up a lot of the fellas in my own parish were, were drinking pints of ale pints of smittics like from Kilkenny and so like 17, 18 year olds drinking pints of Smittix. So just, I started off in that myself. Well, I know, I'd say until I was about 25 or 26, I realized I didn't even like drinking uh, Smittix. <laughs> and then I started drinking Guinness. And then after a year or two, I was like, Guinness, yeah, it's all right. So then I kind of went on whiskey. So I, I figured that, I wouldn't have to give myself any insulin when I was drinking whiskey because there was kind of no real sugar in it. That was the way I was looking at it anyway. And uh, at the moment, I suppose, um, I drink whiskey with diet seven up. 
So any time a mouse, I ask for a Powers whiskey and diet seven up. But I make sure and say the diet seven up. I don't say <laughs> seven up free. I say diet seven up because I don't. And they never give me a seven up with sugar in it. But I don't. It, it's always the darker green in the bottle that's the with the sugar in it, and the lighter green is the the no sugar. But that's the one I'd really be looking at. And I'd have a few whiskeys when I grow and. But I'm at a stage now where, you know, I, I don't really give a, I don't give a, sh- a shit about rounds. So I'll just go out and have what I want and go home when I want and stuff. But I know that's different with a 17, 18, 19-year-olds going out with their friends. I know that's completely different. But I, I'd, and I wouldn't recommend anyone drinking whiskey because it's, um, it's awful stuff. Because if you have two or three shots of whiskey like you you really feel it like so I I, I don't if I was having a drink now I, I would have a whiskey but uh, I wouldn't be drinking that much of it now and I, I'd i have a few shots and then I'd be I'd be well tanked up but I'd be sober enough as I said to check my blood sugars and treat them and be, and be okay you know even on the point of ordering the Powers whiskey which are diet 7 up it's happened to me over the years a couple of times where I've ordered a drink and said either diet or sugar free and sure the bartender just gives you a regular one and then yeah. you drink it without realizing because they pretty much taste the same and you can end up. Uh, no, I, I'd pick it up straight away. Would you? I, I wouldn't be able to I tell would, as much. Yeah, I would. Oh, yeah, I would straight away. Um, I'd know the sugar being as. Uh, I would, I, I, I'd pick it up straight away, but I wouldn't put it in it anyway because I'd, I'd see the dark, it's the dark green on the bottle, uh, seven up. You, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd know, I'd, I'd, I'd know. Um, but like, I mean, if my blood sugar are going a bit low and if it was a seven up, I, I'd have this, you know. But, but, I mean, I, I don't want to be telling people this is how you should do this. I mean, this is what I found myself that 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 helps me. I'm sure other people, the way they might do it, might help them. I mean, I I don't eat after a night out. Um, sometimes I I if I'm sober enough, I, I'm able to uh, reduce the basal rate by fifty uh, percent before I go to bed which I find a massive help. That's what I do to suit me. But of course, I'm not recommending that to anyone, but and it's, it's usually the low blood sugars later on that nighttime that would hit, I think it would hit any diabetic if they're drinking hard at night. Yeah, it's funny. And I'm glad that you kind of said how everybody can be so different because that's the, yeah. the unique thing yeah. about diabetes is we can all yeah. be so different. And even me and you are talking right now and I will always, always, always eat without taking insulin before I go to bed after drinking to counteract any drop I'm expecting from the alcohol itself. Um, yeah, and I, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't do that myself, even like that, that works for you, but I wouldn't, if I had food without giving insulin, I normally blood sugars would be 21 or 18 in final morning and I feel rotten. I, well, now I'm know, not talking about it. sitting down to a five course meal. I'm talking about like yeah, okay. a, packet, a yeah. packet of crisps or a bar oh, or rice. a couple of rice yeah. cakes, something small okay, without insulin, yeah. Yeah, which, which yeah. works well. Yeah. Another thing that I have done over the years while out drinking is if I do order like a diet or sugar free drink with, I don't know, a vodka or tequila or whatever it is, I've actually used my blood glucose monitor to check the sugar 
in the drink. So much like you would with your finger prick, where you put the, the little dot of blood into your meter, you can actually use that to check the sugar content of a drink as well. So you can, if it comes up high, obviously you know that it's not sugar free or it's not diet. So there's a quick tip yeah, for anybody listening. Yeah, um, I, you did mention that before on a um, couple of podcasts, and uh, I never, I don't, I never did it myself, but uh, I will, I will in the future. From if I'm if you have a drink, definitely. Given all of the experience you've had, Dermot, the twenty-seven plus years of being a diabetic, is there anything that stands out to you that made the biggest difference in terms of? how to really stay on top of your buds that somebody else may benefit from? Checking them all the time. There's no way, there's no other way checking them every day. I remember, I, it's not have it as an obsession. I did have an as an obsession during my, when I was about between 19 and 23, 24, it was, I was obsessively checking it. I was, checking it sometimes up to 90 times a day 90 times a day I was checking it um, because I wanted the blood sugar right for the hurling match you know um, but checking it as much as you can in daytime anyway is probably the only thing I know everyone has the the, the sensor is now in but checking getting the blood on the strip is the only way of knowing exactly what your blood sugar are at, at mm-hmm. that time and uh, I, I, you're probably probably best off staying away from pizzas and Chinese takeaways. I mean, I can't. I a Chinese takeaway. I I, I stop eating them. Um, I used to, I, didn't, I didn't eat much from. I used to like them, but um, the I can't deal with the blood sugars after them. I don't think any diabetic can. They just the spike layer on that nice to go high low. I. It's just uh, probably best off if you're a diabetic just to trust. Not saying not to take it, but probably better off just to stay away from it. Just to think seriously about staying away from it anyway. Uh, with, with that, um, but after that, just, you know, mind what you're eating. You know, have a nice breakfast. Make sure you have a breakfast every morning. Eat rice. Drink plenty of water. You know, stuff that everyone else tells you what to do. You know, try and do it yourself, you know. But like, I'm not saying what I've just said there. I'm not necessarily doing all that myself, but I'm trying. It's <laughs> yeah. all we can do, isn't it? I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> Look, Dermot, my, I suppose, diabetic anniversary was 10 years yesterday. And given the fact that I was a decade diagnosed, I kind of took a bit of time to almost reflect back to myself and reflect over the the few years that I had had and what I've got from diabetes, what I've learned from it, what it has led to for me and these kind of things. For you, over the past 27 years, as we said, what do you think diabetes has taught you? I think, honestly, uh, actually, would you think it, it would actually make me feel kind of lucky because it could have been a whole lot worse. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm a diabetic, but I don't, um, I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not giving a death sentence. Um, I'm still able to, there's just plenty of people we see in our community that 
can't play sports because of a disability they have physically, mentally, whatever, that they can't just not able to play sport. Plenty of people that can't drive a car because of a disability. And so I I never I never feel sorry for myself for having it. No way. And I if any diabetic is listening to this, don't ever feel sorry for yourself. You know, get up and get on with it because you know, I mean how how bad is it? You're able to do whatever you want. You have to, you can exercise. If you want to go out, you can go out. If you want to go on a holiday, if you want to go abroad, if you want to work, you can do anything you like with it. But you just have to look after it. So you just you just have to look after it. And you're not the only one. There's thousands and thousands of people that have us, you know, and the people that don't look after themselves. And they get sick and they lose part of their limbs and they die. But if you know you want to look after yourself, you'll be fine. It's yeah. Sometimes you have to look at uh, black and white. Sometimes you have to look at things black and white. And uh, I just just a lad in my parish. He was born at one eye. He was involved in a car crash. He lost the other eye. He's now blind. You know, imagine being blind. And he's fine. He's gone around. He'd be. I was talking to him there in the pub over Christmas time. You'd be talking to him, you wouldn't think he'd blind to what he'd be going on. You know? So, could be way worse. So, I wouldn't, it's not, it's certainly not a death sentence. And you can do whatever you want. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even just that consistency of prioritizing it as best you can will go a long way. You know, and it reminds me of when I was diagnosed first. One of the nurses used an analogy of managing your type one as stirring a pot. And it's like, you can live your life, you can go abroad, you can work, you can exercise, you can do all of these different things as long as you keep stirring the pot. Make sure it doesn't get too hot, make sure it doesn't overflow. But as long as you're constantly just tipping away at it, you can live a perfectly normal and um, thriving life, to say the least. Well, you can. The way I should, like, you do have to work harder than the, the average person. I mean, I love to, I love to go, out, um, like any normal person in a restaurant and have whatever I want, eat whatever I want, drink whatever I want, go home, go to bed whatever I want, wake up whenever I want, not have a care about the world. You know, like, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. And you're diabetic. You just can't. There's no point. There's no way of getting around this. You can't do that. You have to keep checking this. I know sometimes it might work right for you. You have a high or low, but if you keep it right most of the time and be honest about what you're doing, then you'll be fine. But you know, as as what you said, keep stirring the pot constantly, and you can do whatever you like. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I've one more question for you, Dermot, before I let you go and tend to your your COVID and, and make sure you you rest properly. The last question I have for you is a bit of an unusual one, but it's always how I like to finish with with these guest episodes. And it is if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something, what would that be? Absolutely nothing. It's the biggest <laughs> in the hole you can ever have. Definitely. Nothing. nothing. No. 
no, you couldn't. Like, having diabetes is, you couldn't tank it, friend. If I was to think of anything, it would make me feel a little bit more, it could be a whole lot worse. Um, but I wouldn't thank myself for, uh, I wouldn't feel appreciative for, uh, I, I, to, to, to look at it really, it could have been way worse. I have something that I can treat and look after, but it, it, it doesn't um, have this, um, it's pain the whole, I have to be honest. Maybe you want to add that bit out, but absolutely it, not. No, I appreciate your honesty. Like, it's a pain in the hole. Sure, you know yourself. It is a pain in the hole. Like it is. I'm sorry, but I have to be honest with you. You know, hundred percent. And look, as I said, Dermot, I I appreciate that, the honesty. <laughs> but we'll also agree to disagree, and we'll agree to disagree because for me and loads of other people I've spoken to, other people that have been on the podcast you can gain a lot from it. And I'll speak from my personal experience where I have gained an appreciation for my health an appreciation for my family's health, more disciplined, I have a better routine, I have a podcast, I have a different business. I've met loads of people. So for me, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's a pain in the hole. That's the reality (laughs) of it. Of course it is. But for me, it's important that I'm able to focus on the positives because me focusing on the negatives isn't going to change the fact that I'm diabetic. So yeah, we'll agree to disagree. But as always, I, as like I said, I appreciate the honesty. And I appreciate you coming on, Dermot. Thank you for your time. I know it's probably gone on a bit longer than expected. You probably have no. farm to tend to. But any last words no, to no, anyone listening? It's not a sentence. Um, I've had it a long time, so I don't really know what it's like not having this. Um, but I certainly... If you got it, uh, don't ever let it stop you from doing anything and don't ever feel sorry for yourself because there's lads way worse off than you. There's people way worse off than you. So don't think that this is how it's not like 40, 30 years ago when I was starting off with injections in the stomach and sites where to, to, to stick the injection. It's not like that anymore now. There's, so much more information it, it's and the nurses are great I have to miss so it's not you have to look after it yeah but if you're a bit honest with yourself you'll do it fine mm. 100% Dermot thanks so much for your time pleasure chatting with so, you and I'll speak to you so. soon alright okay thank you take it easy good luck see you now bye another massive thank you to Dermot for coming on and having that chat with me I really really enjoyed it and I think what stood out to me throughout that whole episode is how different we can all be in relation to how we manage events, how we manage our social life, our personal life, just our diabetes in general. But despite all of that, we always still have the same goal. And that goal is to manage our diabetes as best we can. Live long, live healthily, live happy. And I think that's always the goal with our diabetes. And that's why I find it so interesting listening and speaking to people from all different walks of life who do so many different types of things. But that same goal is still the daily short-term and long-term goal. Living long, living healthy, living happy. 
So again, massive thank you to Dermot. Another part of Dermot's story that stood out to me was the childhood memories. And I always find it fascinating to hear about childhood memories in relation to diabetes, because even personally, I hadn't yet been diagnosed. So I didn't go through my childhood living with the condition. So I always love that insight into how people may feel or even think about their diabetes as a child. Which leads me on nicely to if you are listening and if you have any interesting memories or stories, we really want to hear them. You know, myself and Graham do listeners, emails and questions, stories and experiences. The more we get, the more happy we are. The happier, the more happy, the happier we are. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Please don't hesitate to let us know any story or experience you have or had because for us, it creates a sense of kind of open conversation within the podcast with myself, Graham, and everyone else who listens. And that's the beauty of the podcast. I feel as if we're all kind of having an open conversation about things when we share these stories. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And of course, as always, please share, please tell your friends, please tell your your family or anyone else that you think may benefit from the podcast. And if you could rate or comment the podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. Anyone listening on Spotify, Spotify have now updated the app so you can rate podcasts. So if you're listening, it's episode 98. I hope you have enjoyed the podcast up to this point. Give us a five stars. We uh, we appreciate it. (laughs) Until then, have a good week. Have a good day. Look after those blood sugars. We'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.